Welcome to the Failsafe. A podcast about writing and failure. In this episode of The Failsafe, we talk with Lucas Mann, the author of Lord Fear, a memoir, and Class A, Baseball in the Middle of Everywhere, which earned a Barnes & Noble Discover Great New Writers selection and was named one of the best books of 2013 by the San Francisco Chronicle. His essays have appeared in Slate, Gawker, and the Kenyon Review, among many other publications. He teaches writing at the University of Massachusetts Dartmouth and lives in Providence, Rhode Island. The Failsafe is produced by Draft, the Journal of Process, and the Iowa Writers' House. Draft publishes first and final drafts of stories, essays, and poems, along with author interviews about the creative process. Find them online at draftjournal.com. The Iowa Writers' House is a community literary organization based in Iowa City that's dedicated to creating a space for education, support, and resources for writers. Find them online at iowawritershouse.org. Stay tuned to find out why in the world Lucas Mann threw an office chair and a bratty man tantrum in this episode coming up. Hey everyone, thanks for joining us again for the Failsafe. This episode with Lucas Mann is near and dear to my heart because Lucas is one of my absolute favorite people, absolute favorite writers, as is Mark Planzak, another favorite person and favorite writer. Lucas and I were in the nonfiction writing program together at Iowa, and Mark and I were in the University of Arizona's fiction program at the same time. And yes, I have two MFAs, and let's not bring it up ever again. Anyway, on this episode, you get to hear these guys sitting down, having a drink, talking about the writing life, talking about failure, and what I like to call, what I've taken to calling the eight levels of failure and judgment. Think of it as all the different waypoints on the writing and publishing journey where you stop and get feedback from someone. So for instance, first you read your own work, which is a time when you can either reject it or accept it. You give your work to a friend, then you take your work to a workshop, you give your work to a respected teacher or mentor, you send it out to a journal and an editor, you give it to a publishing house. Then if you've gotten through all of those levels of failure and judgment, you have critics and the anonymous reader to contend with. So Mark and Lucas have a really great conversation about that whole, you know, the eight levels of failure and judgment. So one of the things they spend a lot of time talking about is workshop. And since, even though I said I wasn't going to bring this up again, but since I have two MFAs, I've been in a lot of workshops, had my work critiqued a lot. I get really confused a lot from workshop because for me, the way people talk, the encoded way people talk in workshop kind of flattens everything out. So you can workshop a really fantastic piece of writing and then just a steaming pile of garbage after it. And it's really 
hard to tell what people think about both of them because, you know, we're taught to say, we're taught not to say this is good or this is bad. Instead, we kind of talk about what's working and what's not working and craft elements. We're just saying the same things to a certain extent about everything. I just got completely confused by workshop. For instance, I have a good workshop anecdote. So it was my second to last semester at Iowa. I was working on my thesis. I was having a horrible time with my thesis. I was failing, like nothing was working. So I had forced this piece out of myself. It was painful and ugly, the the process of writing it. And I turned it in for workshop, feeling really down about it. And I just remember that the teacher leading my workshop was actually my thesis advisor. And he was just like, this is, I'm just really confused. Um, this doesn't come together for me yet. It doesn't really make sense. I don't really kind of understand the main idea you're working with here. And I didn't get a hear a lot of pushback from the students in the class on these comments. So I walked away from workshop feeling super demoralized Uh, kind of ashamed, actually, of the piece that I had written. I actually, I think I dropped my thesis after that and completely changed directions and just kind of started on a new thesis. I put that piece away, literally did not look at it for years and years, and just considered it a dead, failed piece. Until I was talking with um, a woman who had been a student in that workshop with me and we were talking about a manuscript that I was shopping around and she said you know you could turn this into a novel and you could include pieces like that piece I read in workshop that was so fantastic and I'm like what are you talking about what are you talking about that was a horrible piece anyway our conversation prompted me to go and take a look at it I pulled it out and I'm like this piece is actually kind of great. Sent it off to a contest and it didn't win, but it got runner up. And this was something that I was ready to just let sit forever and never look at again. So I don't know what this has to say about workshop other than it can destroy you. Someone else's feedback can destroy you, can kill a piece, and it can also resurrect it. So this is sort of the realm that Mark and Lucas are wandering around in. In this episode, you'll hear, it's great. Okay, really quickly, before we get to the interview, I want to tell you about Witching Hour. It's a festival dedicated to exploring the unknown, the creative process, and new work. The Failsafe is going to be part of the festival this coming November. I'll be talking with author Alyssa Nutting and music critic Jessica Hopper, about creativity and failure in a live event. Last year was the first year of the festival. Nearly 1,300 people came and the lineup included musicians, artists, comedians, writers, thinkers, scientists, magicians. Come on, it's pretty amazing. This year's programming will be just as diverse and is going to examine what's new in art, science, performance, and literature. How can we better engage with our community, both locally and globally, and what can the creative process look like? If you're going to be in the Midwest, November 4th and 5th, I really encourage you to check it out, witchinghourfestival.com. It's an incredibly unique festival. It brings together all these disparate disciplines, puts all these genius people in one place at the same time, 
to talk and present work and to create something that's actually really amazing. So Witching Hour Fest, check it out. And that's all I got. So let's head over to the interview. Author Lucas Mann talking with Mark Palanzak. Enjoy. So Lucas. Okay. Thanks for talking to the failsafe. Thank you for uh, coming down here. (laughs) (laughs) Did you have uh, another career in mind? Before before you got into writing, like, did you want to become a baseball player and fail at it? I mean, yeah, but like, I wanted to be beca- I wanted to become a baseball player and failed in the way that like kids want to become astronauts and fail, and that like I didn't have much aptitude and didn't really try. But yeah, that, like probably that would have been the thing that I really wanted to be when I was a kid. Really, baseball player. When I was a kid, yeah. And you continued until young adulthood. Yeah, I, p- I played in high school and I played on like an AAU travel team. And then I played almost two seasons of uh, bad Division three baseball in college. Why do you call it bad? Um, it's more referring to me. I was bad. But also like the, the team wasn't very good and it was Division three. But mostly the, the, I, was the, I was the bad part. There were some very good players on the team. When you're, when you're playing Division three and you're a pitcher... Mm-hmm. And you were a pitcher. Yeah. Do you bat? Uh, or do they do it like American League style? I think it's, I'm trying to remember. I think you have the option of whatever you want to do. Did you bat? Uh, I was a seldom used relief pitcher. Although I feel like my, I feel like the best moments I had in college baseball were like randomly batting in scrimmages. I, I think that I was a good hitter, but I couldn't field any position for shit. So there, there sort of wasn't a place for me. I just wasn't really very good. <laughs> is 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 the main takeaway from the story? Okay, so if you self admit that you you failed at baseball, sure. yeah, and it was sure. super painful at the time. Yeah. Okay. Um, Division three, like you don't have high hopes at that point. No. Were you studying another subject at college, or did you say like, okay, it's going to be like either baseball or or I'm going to be a writer? I th- that's a weird binary like neither of those things is a remotely practical thing like who thinks that (laughs) (laughs) like no uh i mean i was an english major and did you do anything besides english to start i was an english major i didn't start that way uh i i know i was i i mean i guess from the moment i declared i was an english major um i was a history minor and, and and probably enjoyed being a history student more actually if i think about it I think like everybody who becomes an English major, I went in having vague ideas that I would be a psychology major and then like nearly failed intro to psychology. I was like, well, that's it. But I didn't, I think part of it was. Because everyone can read books. Yeah. Uh, and apparently not everybody can do stats. Uh, <laughs> I, I, th- I think I went, when I went in to play baseball, even though it's division three, it sort of culturally, it felt like a thing. Like it felt like I had this thing. And it was its own sort of culture, so I think I, I just wasn't a particularly good student or curious person early on in college because I sort of fell back on the idea of, well, I'm shitty at baseball and I'm a shitty English major, but there's something like unique about the fact that I'm both, like that I sort of like took some sense of self in, and then when I quit baseball, uh, went through like a series of crises of like I should probably like actually do something decently or like try to be functional. Okay. So then your first book, uh-huh. Class A, yeah, is about a minor league baseball team. Mhm. And you played baseball 
you quit baseball. Mm-hmm. You went into <coughs> English at college. Uh, how far along were you? But what, at what stage between the decision to stop baseball, get serious about English, and then this book come up? I guess like four years maybe was was the difference between the two of them. Um, and and the book came up just you know I got my MFA focusing in nonfiction um, and and was there just sort of trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And I had somewhat of a reporting background and, and wanted to do something reported and, and, and didn't necessarily want to write a memoir uh, while I was in my, my, my MFA and, and, and didn't really know what I wanted to write about. And I knew that there was minor league baseball around the area. And it was really like I just I was like I wanted to put myself in a situation in which I could report on or look at something that I thought might be emotionally resonant that like I wasn't expert enough in to like write the official thing of, but also like had enough connection to that it might start stirring some shit up. I mean, it was, it was that simple. And, and, you know, I guess a lot of those things were still fairly like baseball, the memory of baseball being important to me was still there and sort of like the rawness of failing at it was still there. Um, and I don't necessarily know if I thought it through that much, but all of that sort of became apparent when I started researching it. When you, when you actually decided to go through with this and say like, okay, this is going to be my project. Mm Mm-hmm. And you did this for your two, two, three years? It was a three-year program. You did this for your three years at Iowa. Yeah. Did, when you were going into workshop, you were handing in bits of Class A? So I, I started doing it. it the, the narrative of the book focuses around um, one season that started in April, like early April of my first year of grad school. And so then I was like really on the road following the team and sort of doing immersive stuff from like April through the end of September that year. And that was, so that's where the narrative takes place. And then there was just a ton of research and writing afterwards that had to do, like I got a grant to go to Venezuela to do research and went to spring training to do research and kept going back to the town to do research and was writing. So it didn't start right away. And then I, I think I I learned pretty quickly in my second year in grad school, I started handing in chunks of attempts to write the book and had like kind of just a, a negative workshop experience uh, a couple times because it, it just didn't... Failures. Yeah, failures. Oh, my God. So on point. Uh, no, it, 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 yeah. And, and, I, and I, I took it really hard. It just didn't feel right because it was like I would turn in something and be like, hey, I'm trying to explore this idea that's hopefully part of a thing that I'm working on about minor league baseball. But it, I think rightfully to the people reading it felt incomplete and suspect also, they just didn't necessarily give a shit about baseball, nor should they. Yeah, it, it felt unproductive at a certain point. So actually, after a while, I, I, I stopped turning in parts of what would be Class A to workshop, and it was it ended up being more helpful to like work on smaller, weird experimental essays and turn those into workshop and, and sort of learn how to be a better writer outside of the context of this narrative, and but keep that narrative more mine. I mean, I showed it to people and, and workshopped a little bit of it, but it, they felt pretty separate. Okay. If you're getting, and I think that a lot of students look to the, the, the workshop feedback yeah. for, for not only help, but also just like a validation of my on the right path. If you're saying that you were handing this thing in, you're in workshop, you have these really great writers around you, Mm -hmm. good access to some, like, you know, good readers. 
what do you do when you're handing something in that is not getting the feedback that says, keep going? So you, yeah. you, you said, like, you put it aside, started handing in something else. So you were told, like, stop handing this in. No, 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 no. I, I, I think I overreact. I mean, if the question is, what do you do when that happens? In my case, it's like throw a tantrum and, and be really petty about it. Um, did, did you? Yeah. Not too, too, I don't think I threw a tantrum at people. I think I more just like went home by myself and threw a tantrum. Okay, that's what I want to hear. Uh, <laughs> what is your tantrum like and why? Because it, it, it we know now yeah. that it became something. Yeah. So what was happening in that moment? I, I just remember feeling just abject panic. And I, to be fair, I think I, so I think it, it worked out. I'm trying to remember the first piece that I handed in I, I almost wrote, as I recall, as like an experiment because I, I was never sure from the jump, really, the whole time that it would a- that it actually could be a book or that it was anything. Like I spent the whole time researching it, like driving home, being like, "This is a fucking waste," a lot. <laughs> so it, it was kind of uncertain the whole time. And then the the first piece that I wrote for the the following workshop was, in my mind, sort of like this essentially standalone magazine essay is how I, how I ended up writing it. And I turned that into workshop and that got really good feedback. Okay. And people were like, this is like a New Yorker piece or like one person said that. And clearly I remember it, um, and got like really jacked up and excited about that. And then you sort of use that confidence to try to be like, all right, I'm going to keep trying to, you know, work on this. But as happens, you know, with books, it turns out it was, they were like a lot of sort of speculative stabs at trying to explore things that were much less clearly formed than this original standalone was. And, and, and I don't know how much people doubted them or how much I inferred from them being like, eh, that, that everybody was like, this is a waste of time. Mm. I, I think it probably just sort of kicked in voices that were already there in my head. And yeah, and I just, you know, panicked about it and, you know, went home and did dumb thing. I threw a desk chair or something, just stupid dramatic stuff. Yeah, I actually um, did throw a chair. I'm pretty, I think I did throw a chair. Yeah. Uh, which is really bratty. But you keep, you keep going with it. So it, you say like you're driving around, like you're doing this research. Yeah. And you're actually convincing yourself, this does not work. This is going to be a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then... You, you continue to write it. Why not stop there? Why, why didn't, like, if you're alone, you're, you're think, conceiving of this thing, and you're doing yeah. your research, and you say, this is, this is just not working. Why, like, what kept you writing that? Like, you can write other things. So, and, and I, I ended up, I think, I, I mean, I did sort of stop at periods and, and write other things. I mean, I guess that part of it is, is maybe to call bull, bullshit on myself, right, that I think I have a tendency and I think a lot of writers and just people in general have this tendency when, when you say like, this is horrible and this is really failing. I, for me, often when I'm articulating that clearly there's something happening at some level of my brain that doesn't fully believe that or else I would stop. That, that's the, the only answer that I have. There's a Yiddish word that my grandmother used called kanahara. Or that I that could be like a word that she made up because she did that. But the way it was explained to me, sounds made up. yeah, it sounds like a made up word. Uh, like the way it was explained to me is that a kanahara is when somebody leaves a test and is like, "Fuck, I failed," almost to just ensure that they didn't. 
You know what I mean? Or that like a D would be welcome. Right. Yeah. Like you're, yeah, you're, you're just sort of protecting yourself emotionally for failure so that it softens everything. And then if something good happens, it's a, it's a surprise. And, and I think that maybe that's what I was doing the whole time. That's interesting. Um, but it, it definitely felt like, I mean, I really legitimately doubted it all the way through. Do you, do you approach the stuff that you're working on now? Thinking this is a failure. Yeah, oh, I approach. I approach everything that way. Really? Yeah, that's like a. I'm not saying this is a. I'm not. I'm not saying this is a good thing, but I am pretty sure that that is just sort of how I approach life. Because is is it this kanahara uh, that you're preparing yourself for the worst to you know soften the blow, or is it literally? Do you think this is bad? Uh, I. That's the thing. It's really hard to tell. I think it might be both. Like, like, it doesn't feel like bullshit when I say the thing that I'm working on is terrible. But then, like you say, if I say the thing that I'm working on is terrible and then wake up the next day and try to write more of it, there's obviously something, even if it's subconscious, kind of disingenuous. Because uh, I, if, if I really, if I didn't want to subject myself in the world to, to that terrible thing and I really thought it was that terrible, I wouldn't do it. So, yeah, I don't, it, it doesn't, I don't understand it much myself, but. Well, I, I, I think that, some of the successful things I've seen people do come from real like vulnerability. Um, and it's really hard to say that this thing is successful if it's not doing something that you've seen before. So then to say that this thing is failing or this is going to fail in some way keeps me going and keeps some people I've talked to going because it's not admitting that it's actually bad, but that it's not what other people are doing. Yeah. And I feel like so much success is predicated on, I've seen this, this sounds like something I've done. You son- You kind of said earlier, uh, this sounds like a New Yorker piece, but like you put on like a bit of like a voice for it. Yeah. Because we know what that sounds like. If you can do that, But it that felt amazing like to failure. hear, I mean, clearly the New Yorker didn't agree, but it felt amazing to hear somebody say that. Because like you said, yeah, it feels like, okay, oh, well, I'm doing the this thing is working into does. a template that... that uh, you, that not only everybody else does, but that you maybe admire. Success that you know happens. Yeah. You know, the, the New Yorker piece is in the New Yorker. Good for you. If like you can do that, wow, you could be in the New Yorker too. If you're failing, it's, it, I, it, it's something that is not seen before or not like living up to something that you, you, you might have read before and want to emulate. Yeah. Do you feel like, do you approach your writing? Because you write... I mean, your book, Lord Fear, is unique. And do you feel like while you were writing it, you were, you know, consciously failing because it doesn't look like other books? It's a hard thing to do to say, like, yes, this is something that someone's going to want to read. And it doesn't look like anything else. I feel like the workshop is a place where you develop that anxiety Mm -hmm. about not sounding right. Yeah, I think that's totally true. I think that's I think that that's. Um, that's absolute, I think that's absolutely true. And also, at least for the workshop aspect of it, and I, I think this is for a lot of folks, like just talking to folks who got their MFAs in, in fiction, there's always that thing about how sometimes it's harder for people working on a novel um, than those working on short stories. And I think similarly, it's harder working, you know, there were so many people doing really interesting, cool, short lyric essays when I was in um, my MFA. And there's something... I mean, that's really, really hard to do, but it's, it's sort of a contained perfection. And it's a contained perfection that even if it's experimental, it's 
doing, it's an instinct that we all are sort of trained to look at and like somebody took 10 pages and made them as sort of crystalline and perfect for what it was trying to be as possible. And no matter how fascinating and interesting and, and, and different the work is, um, there's still something neat about that, that you can talk about it as a contained unit. Um, and so the combination of maybe doing something that you don't think you've seen that much, and then also that thing being stabs in the dark at what might end up being this much longer narrative, and you don't know where that narrative ends, and all these things, there's so many different moving parts of uncertainty that I think make it harder for people to talk about and harder to feel confident about. And it and so so when you turn in 12 pages of something that you think someday might be 250 and you don't know where those 12 pages fit in and you don't even know if the way that you're trying to write this book is a viable way to, and somebody's like, I just don't get these 12 pages, it like compounds exponentially into, in my head anyways, of like all of the things that could go wrong and, and then, are going wrong. And then you throw a chair. <laughs> and then you go and throw a chair. You go right. to your little Iowan apartment. Yeah, which is super lame. Uh, <laughs> that's just like the just. Like, wait, wait, why is that lame? Because it's just like a, you know, I don't know, like bratty dude being. Like, why does nobody appreciate me? Well, I mean, there's so many things to do in this world besides writing. It's like such a privilege, right? That yeah, when you come home and throw a chair, it's not because. You know, we started another war. It's because someone yeah. like my thing in workshop. Right. But this is this is like another. <laughs> like when we invaded Iraq, I didn't throw a chair. I was like, oh, like, that's it. Yeah, no furniture. Maybe we won't have school tomorrow. Yeah, right. right. <laughs> that's really awful. Yeah, yeah that's pretty, true. Pretty dark. Yeah, um, but accurate, I think. Uh, so, <laughs> aside, aside. Uh, you know, we almost talked about something, not me. So I want to pull it back to uh, the stuff about, like, writing something that maybe feels like you haven't seen it before as much. Well, while you do that, yeah. can I get more of your shandy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the one hand, it, it's terrifying to write something that maybe feels like it doesn't look like things that you've seen before. But then the flip side of that, sometimes it feels like that's an easy thing to be like, well... Like, it's never been done before, man. So, like, how do I even know if it's failing? And so then on the times that I do feel good about something, like when Class A felt different than other books about baseball that I'd read or when Lord Fear felt sort of different than it just sort of felt unique to me, I would get excited for a moment about, I'd sort of, like, blow smoke up my own ass about, I'm doing something different, man. This is out there. And then I would hear that, and that would sort of sound, like, obnoxious and precious so it was, there was always a kind of a huh. push and pull with that. Because I think it's a dangerous slope when you're studying writing, when you're just trying to write anything, to put so much stock in this notion of yourself as unique that you become like unimpeachable. Because yeah. like, well, if there's no blueprint, if I'm so out there that there's no blueprint, then I can't be wrong. And like that, who's going to critique this? Right. You and, don't have the tools. And that seems, that, that seems like in, in a weird way playing it safe as much as writing something formulaically. If, if you're that invested in sort of the sanctity of your weirdness, you know? That's a really, really great distinction. Um, there is, you, you know, like, neither camp. I was telling you, I, I write two things at once yeah. to prove to myself, like, Which is I'm not impressive. just doing something experimental because right. I can't do something traditional. Right. I'm not doing something traditional because um, that that's a question you that... You cover all your bases. Yeah, that, that I, I have. And I think that... I mean, all of this comes from stuff that we've probably read. I mean, where, yeah. where are we drawing any of this? Like, do you, th do you read stuff and 
understand its intent and then see it as a failure? Do you, do you come across books uh-huh. that you actually see as a failure? I don't, you don't need to name names, but it'd be great <laughs> if you could. Um, books that you see, because a failure is a known attempt and then not reaching it. Right. It's not like, I don't, I don't go to the movies and watch you know, Fast and Furious and say, that's a failure. Because it's absolutely not. Because it's 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 actual ambition. Yeah, is exactly what it, it succeeds so wonderfully at its ambition. Yes. Totally. Yeah. But I, I think that we have to teach ourselves. We have to teach readers <clears throat> exactly what our ambition is with this book. Like you make a promise at the beginning, or like yeah. the publisher does, and either succeed or fail. But also when we're writing, we have to like keep that contract going too. Like I'm going to promise myself that this is our intent. And this is where we're going to try to get to. Do you do you read stuff and actually develop your idea of success and failure uh, based on you know writers teaching you this is what you're going to get, and then you don't get it? Like what what is a book? What is a contemporary writer that you know personally who has failed, so that we can get the dirt on it entirely? I don't know anybody who's failed. No, I admit, and, uh, no, I, I, I don't know. Like, do, you, do, uh, you, do you engage with you know a movie or or a book, and say, I know what you're trying to do, and you didn't get there. So so we, weirdly now, um, I mean I think I think you put it really well. Like I I think because the more that you write and try to set your own terms, like you're saying, the harder you realize that task is to like have a strong thing that you want to do that I think I'm almost more forgiving. Like if I read something that feels like it isn't a complete Mm. success, but feels like, God damn, like it, it tried to set itself some terms. Um, I appreciate that enormously. And I think I'm more willing to like apologize, um, to it in, in, uh, in my head, I guess. Like I, I get a pleasure out of the terms that they set. And then there's a frustration in the way that it doesn't necessarily live up to those terms. Um, but I really, I, I guess I, I admire them, them setting that. Um, I can't like, I, I can't think of, nor would I probably want to say any specific books that I'm thinking of failing those things. But, uh, weirdly for whatever reason, um, like a, a movie popped into my head of, uh, yes. this, um, uh, God, what was it even called? It was with James Gambolfini and Julia Louis Dreyfus. Oh God, was, that was like his last movie. It right? was one of his last movies. He died before it came out. Yeah, and and I thought he was wonderful in it, and I, I'm like the hugest fan of his and the hugest fan of hers. And it was essentially just like a movie of these two um, people who had been divorced and, and each had kids um, who were just sort of like living their lives and then trying to be with each other. Um, and I thought riveting. I thought those terms were like wonderful and beautiful, and I admired them so much for their simplicity. And I admired how much space they gave the actors and as these characters to just have these interactions. And then it like had a twist kind of thing at the end, or then it like relied on the plot of like actually there was this surprise happening the whole time, and now all of a sudden plots happening. Um, and 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 that felt so inorganic and so not trusting the cool thing that it was doing that it really fucking bothered me. And actually often, often when a, when a book does that, that that movie has a twist. It kind of does. It's not, it's like nobody blows up, but I, but I think it's a thing that like, 
I'm sure they have some connection to each other that one of them knew and was hiding. So it was like this dishonesty that comes They're out. Related. And then it's like, yeah, she's him. No, uh, <laughs> but, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but it, it did enough to, it just felt like it didn't trust this really beautiful little thing that, that it was doing. And, and I think similarly, when I get frustrated at books, it's often when it feels like, um, and I don't want to sound like the MFA schmuck who's like, plots are stupid, but when it feels like plots or action or something, something like, like I am moving things forward now happens in a way that feels tacked on and forced and mm-hmm. you're not allowed to linger in whatever questions or whatever weird, small, little intense it felt like the book was supposed to have. When, when I get annoyed at a book, it's, it's often because of that. Um, and maybe that's because I find that hard as a, like, cause those are the things that I'm interested in these like little moments, mm-hmm. but then I find it really hard when I'm writing to trust that that's enough. So it almost feels like I'm imposing on the writer or the filmmaker, whoever, like this moment where they didn't trust themselves. And mm-hmm. I get, I get upset about that. Okay. Do you think that, I mean, okay. So you're, you, you've written two books, you published two books, you're working on essays now. Like about reality TV, mm-hmm. you have clearly written in between these two books before, during, after, and again. Do you have a project that you were really psyched about that actually failed? I mean, failed on the external level. Um, so, so, insofar as like, okay, you worked on this thing, uh-huh. you're excited about it. It actually didn't come to fruition. Because someone didn't want to publish it, or you didn't finish it, or you showed it to a reader and it didn't work out. Do you have a failed project? Not on the level of a book, but maybe just like the level of like an essay project examination. Or does everything that you do (laughs) wind up being externally successful? Um, No, I, I don't. I have not as of yet had a book project that failed. I think I've had a ton of of smaller essays that. And it w- have failed and what, continue what to. what stage do they fail? Um, I guess they, they just sort of failed at the submission level. Um, but but so that's where you draw the line. Yeah, or but but I feel like there were some too that like it, it's almost like I showed them to friends and like you know I had like a sort of side workshop outside of workshop with people that I you know loved and really trusted and we showed each other stuff even that we weren't showing you know it was an, an extra thing and I I think that there were things that I showed to people there and in other workshops that, that got rightfully negative feedback or just said like, I see what you're going for and it's not holding up. And I like, wouldn't necessarily trust that. Like, nah, you know, this is, they're not getting it. And then, uh, I would try to submit it and, and, and lo and behold, nobody else got it either. Hmm. Um, and who knows, man, maybe the, 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 the book that I'm working on right now, um, feels like it, it's, it's in, I guess everything you write, up until the moment that it's published is on the table for failure or not failure. And then also, frankly, even when it's published still on the table for failure or not failure. So all of those things that you're talking about, it feels like I'm right there with this new thing that I'm working on. And there's failure with when you're working on it and you're mm-hmm. like, this, this sucks. But then you finish it and you hand it off and you're like, oh, it's okay, Like let's find out. Yeah. Then you hand it off to the next person, the readers, and they say... Mm, I don't know. And you're like, okay, well, that's just one person. Yeah. So then you hand it off to submission. 
uh, and then an editor says, like, mm, I don't know. And you're like, okay, that's another level of failure. But then sometimes you make it all the way through with an essay, an article, a story, whatever, a book. And you get through all of those hurdles. And then all of a sudden, the thing is out there. And now the sort of gatekeeper of success is a reader that you've never met, mm-hmm. will never meet, um, sales for a magazine, clicks for a website, um, you know, sales for a publisher. At what point do you start looking at that? And do you, do you actually think about what happens after it's published? Do you actually concern yourself with success or failure based on a consumer outcome? So do I concern myself with it when I'm writing or do I concern myself with it after the fact when it's happening? I mean, I, I think I know you well enough to say that like you're not going to consider that while you're working on something. No. But once it's out there, like you've gotten through, you're like your own internal mm-hmm. editor, then your readers, then everything. Now it's there. Is it like you, you kiss a goodbye and say it does what it does or are you concerned about success or failure based on a public readership? Yeah, I'm enormously concerned with that. How do you like? How do you figure it out? I think that's part of the problem is that there isn't really a, a way to like I like I've uh, I, I think with Lord Fear I've had a lot of difficulty um, feeling like that book is externally a failure, um, but I, I I couldn't tell you why <laughs> or. You know what I mean? Like, I, I guess... I don't I don't think I do know what you mean. So you, you have a hard time understanding Lord Fear as a, as a failure? Do you think it's a failure, like, commercially? Yeah, I think so. But again, but I, I don't really... A, I don't actually know what it's done commercially because I don't, I don't look. Okay, so that, that's, but, that's but, a big part but, of it. But, 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 but also, like, I think... Um, it, it, it's just really easy to find uh, benchmarks for success that then become benchmarks of failure. So if you hit something that feels like a benchmark of success, for me anyways, right, then the moment that happens, it kind of loses its meaning. And then there's um, something else that invariably doesn't happen. So, so for Lord fear, like I, yeah, I, um, I've been insanely fortunate in a lot of ways about people, some people saying nice things about that book and some people liking that book, but I also feel like something didn't go right, but it's really hard to say what exactly. Um, there just sort of feels like a nagging, uh, sense of disappointment, which maybe that just has to do with the fact that like I put a lot into that book. And so once you put something that means that much out to you out there, then kind of whatever happens, unless you're insert X person who like won whatever thing, it it feels like a letdown. It's a, it's a good book for anybody who trusts my opinion. (laughs) It's a really good book, but you've also got a lot of critical acclaim for it. Are you just, are you solely talking about sales here? Um, I, I guess that's part, I, I guess that's part of the thing is that I don't really know what the benchmark is and I don't, 
think that people who... You also said you don't even know how much it's... You don't even know what's happening with it commercially. No, but I have like a but decent... You, I, you I actually a, don't. I know you're right. I don't. I, you I, I you know, have an inkling. Yeah, I have an inkling. Going. I have an inkling. Where do you, how do you get that inkling? I don't really know. You like walk into the bookstore every single week. Yeah. See if like they, they had three books. <laughs> yeah, like... And now they still have three books. It, or even just like... Uh, like I will admit that... And I have not done this in a while because it was depressing. But like... Uh, I, if you like see the Amazon rank one day, which means as far as I know, I mean, I actually have no idea how that's quantified. Right. Um, but it seemed crazy low and it seemed way lower than I remembered class a being a couple years before when class a was published. And so then, right. None of that. I couldn't tell you what that algorithm does. I couldn't tell you what the difference between those two things are. Um, all I can tell you is that it's enough to suggest to me this like terrifying, overwhelming feeling of disappointment and failure or whatever that is probably compounded by the fact that I don't actually educate myself well enough to, to be able to quantify it, um, which is not productive. Uh, but if this is an honest podcast about failure, um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. Well, I, I can confirm that it's a failure. <laughs> I actually know the, the, the way that they actually Good. figure I'm it glad, out. Yeah, you've been getting the numbers. Those numbers that you're receiving, they're true. It's at the bottom. It's a, yeah. It's at the very bottom. Of something. Whatever the bottom is. But it's, it's crazy. I know, I know people like myself who published like, their first book from a tiny press. And like I'll, I checked Amazon for a month. Yeah. Uh, looking like, oh, it, it just jumped from... 500,000th to like 30,000. Like, oh my God. That's good. How many people bought this? Then the next day it's up to like 750,000. Right. It's like, oh, so like one day, like 10 people bought it, which, which also speaks to a little bit of how few people buy books on (laughs) on a given day. But the other thing is I know people who are extremely successful in my eyes. Like Mm -hmm. if I ever made it to their level, you know, I'm done. You know, I'm fine. They are obsessed with the Amazon ranking. Yeah. And also, they if, occasionally uh, if, just, you, like, were obsessed at, if you were at whatever level they were at, you would not be fine. You'd be fucking miserable and you'd be looking at somebody else. But I think. But like there, there's something that has removed the purist from everyone because they can check it at any moment yeah. of the day. And it's also weird because you do, it, it makes you do things. It goes counter to everything that... I and I, most other writers I know, or like literary writers, whatever that means, believes in, right? Like, like you said, I don't sit down thinking like, I'm going to write something that sells. Often I write things that, and then you want when, to sell. when I'm into them, I know that I'm liking them because I'm like, damn, like I wrote a baseball book that like, if I probably had played that more toward the middle, I feel like there's a movie there. Right. And, and like <laughs> absolutely didn't. Brad Pitt's Moneyball. You know what I mean, right? Like, absolutely did not do that and felt happy while doing it, right? Like, part of what I, like, sort of learned in my MFA or what I believe in or what I, is sort of, like, writing the thing that you want and writing the thing that you like. And I would say that to anybody else whose book I read that I just love and think is amazing, regardless of sales or acclaim, whatever those things are, that, like, you wrote something that you feel good about, you should feel good about that. And then I absolutely do not take my own advice 
or hear it when other people uh, say it to me, which is, I guess, human nature. But I, but I think you're right, is compounded by the fact that um, there's enough weird stuff out there that's constantly, like there are numbers that are constantly changing or there's so many people that you know posting random reviews from random places the moment that they come online and then you do that and then somebody else does that and then you look at your rank and you look at the right. There's all of these things that are out there that are really hard to judge what they mean, but because they're so accessible, yeah, um, whatever sort of idealized monastic writing experience that maybe never existed uh, was, um, it's, at least for me, it's been really impossible. With that, we are calling this episode a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us. The Failsafe is a joint effort of Draft, the Journal of Process, and the Iowa Writer's House. Draft Journal publishes first and final drafts of stories, essays, and poems, along with author interviews about the creative process. Find them online at draftjournal.com. The Iowa Writer's House is a community literary organization based in Iowa City that's dedicated to creating a space for education, support, and resources for writers. Find out more about them at iowawritershouse.org. Thanks for listening. That's it for this episode of The Failsafe.